IEEE-SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE-SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world's standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity. Hello, everyone and welcome to season three of the IEEE SA's Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, and I am the director of the Healthcare and Life Sciences Global Practice. So our practice is a platform for multidisciplinary stakeholders from around the globe to collaborate, explore, and develop solutions that will drive responsible adoption of new technologies and applications leading to more security, protection, and sustainable, equitable access to quality of care for all individuals. Yes, a very ambitious goal, but a very necessary goal. The Rethink Health podcast series brings awareness to all of these concepts and a balanced understanding in the use of all new technologies and tools and applications where we may need more policy or standards to drive this responsible, trusted, and validated adoption to enable better health for all. All of our seasons and our podcasts are available on Podbean, iTunes, and other podcast providers. Season three is titled AI for Good Medicine. And it's not just about AI. We're looking at machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning technologies, and really looking at how these multidisciplinary experts from around the globe can provide insight as to how do we envision this AI ML delivering good medicine for all. The reality is we all want good medicine, but at what price? And price really here means in terms of trust and validation is this use. As a healthcare industry stakeholders, we're not just looking for the next frontier of medicine if it's not pragmatic, responsible, and can be equitably valuable to all. And so we go deep with the technologists in this season. We talk to the clinicians and the researchers and the ethicists and the regulators and really trying to understand what can be real and trusted impact on using these technologies for improving outcomes for patients everywhere. The reality is, can this really help us cut through this health data swamp and deliver better outcomes? And with that, I'd like to welcome Sumit Nagpal to our discussion for the true potential of AI in healthcare, helping marginalized populations or helping those even in the form of the elderly. All these populations that, yeah, they may have access, but exactly how do we reach them in the right way? Sumit is a serial entrepreneur with a focus on digital health innovation at scale. He has co-founded and grown five companies over the past two decades and has tackled progressively bolder challenges facing our healthcare economies. All his work features common themes, big, bold ideas that help us imagine a better world, incredibly complex processes into simple, approachable, and engaging user experiences, implementation models that blend big innovations into the fabric of our daily life. He has honed since the time he has worked with Steve Jobs and next in the early 1990s. Sumit. So Welcome to the Rethink Health podcast series. Thank you so much for having me. I think you have an exciting background. Just reading this very short descriptive paragraph, you're a serial digital health entrepreneur. It's an opportunity to work with some great tech gurus and renowned companies. Can you share with us what has been the greatest reward and maybe some of the greatest challenges that you've confronted? Awesome way to start. Thank you. Let me start with the greatest reward. It's the chance to work with smart, motivated, creative, innovative people every day on shared missions to make a real difference in people's lives. I've been very lucky to have coaches, mentors, colleagues, clients, my heroes who keep me on my toes, challenge me to be and do better, and to be super clear about why we do what we do. I recently told an emerging partner of mine, the past eight weeks of working with him have felt like yet another MBA. I'm super lucky to wake up every morning knowing that no matter what, 
I will get to work with incredible people, grow personally, and help move the world forward. What more could anyone ask for? Regarding challenges, I've learned over the past several decades, perhaps too slowly, that sometimes the world isn't ready for even the best ideas. I started a company focused on digitizing medical records before we knew that those would be called electronic medical records. I started another company focused on joining up people's healthcare data from wherever they receive care. It's taken 20 years for that to be legislated into existence. So being able to imagine the future and what's possible, sometimes that's called being ahead of your time. Sometimes that's also called being dense. That's both a great challenge and a great learning experience for me. Absolutely. I may have run into this a few times myself. You know, it's always <laughs> exciting to be above the curve and you want to get to the next emerging thing, but sometimes the world is not ready for it yet. And so there's always a right place and a right time for everything. Now you're in this world of Cherish and you can share with our audience, please, what Cherish exactly is and what it's doing and what inspired you? What was your vision to bring this to the market? Awesome. I'll introduce Cherish in very simple terms. We build advanced sensors and AI, and our job, our goal is to help people like our parents, our grandparents, our kids, many of us who may be living either with health challenges or who may be aging, live more safely and with more joy wherever they happen to be. So we're using advanced AI and advanced sensors to go help solve some of the challenges that our populations face. It's very clear that healthcare is coming home. The pandemic has shown us many of the types of health and care services that we can now deliver to people at home that we simply wouldn't have had the incentive to put in place before the pandemic. What's been super obvious to me, however, is that if we can reliably predict rising risk for people before that becomes an ambulance ride, an emergency room admission, a hospitalization, we can take out a whole lot of cost to our economies and also take out a whole lot of hardship for our loved ones that they go through when they wind up in these situations. Being able to do this at scale, at a scale that matters, is the motivation behind Cherish. Absolutely. I think that is a big area of interest for us here at the Healthcare Life Science Practice is figuring out how these technologies can support this growing aging population as well as the ability to reach the unreachable. You've done quite a bit of work in the digital health sector, talking about advanced AI, advanced sensors. Maybe you could share a little bit with our audience some of your experience, your research, working with different groups and tech gurus, just to give them a little bit of firsthand what you see in this space and where you see the difference and where maybe potentially you see it going. AI and ML are really helping create a bit of a revolution in what we can do with technology. Our teams, just tying this back to the reason we exist, our teams are working to blend all sorts of signal about everyday life as people go about their day. Make sense of that signal to predict the kinds of rising risk that can help keep people out of ambulances and emergency rooms. Today, there are rules and algorithms that let us deal effectively with some of the signal some of the time, an elevated heart rate or a depressed respiration rate, being able to use evidence-based rules, being able to raise an alarm someplace, that's very well understood. There are evidence-based pathways to work with such data. But when you start deploying the kinds of sensors you find on autonomous vehicles to understand how people are doing, on the one hand, the scale and the kinds of things you can address just mushroom in scope and size. On the other hand, the complexity as well, mushrooms in scope and size. It's a whole new ballgame with so much more signal to make sense of that these traditional techniques no longer suffice. So we're doing things with machine learning in weeks and months that would take literally years to decipher out of the raw data that these sensors produce. And these capabilities are autocatalytic. They build upon themselves. 
It all ultimately translates into time to market and scale for health applications that help real people stay healthy or get care before they become more sick. It all translates into lower cost through preventive maintenance rather than expensive repair jobs. It all translates into reduced hardship. AI and ML are absolutely indispensable to enable these changes at a meaningful scale. Very pertinent point. I think we hear this quite a bit. We're seeing all this AI at the edge and all these different devices, and there's just real growth and trend towards there. So I'm very excited to hear that you have seen that and continue to experience it as well. There's this aging population that potentially might not have access to caregivers that want to still be independent, or they may actually be in a living facility, but still need care, and there might not be enough human resource to support them. Can you give some examples or case studies in the work you're doing with Cherish to say this is potentially an accepted way or a very pragmatic way to start supporting that aging population? Great question. It's the essence of what we're focused on. While I'm not ready to share all the details of what we're doing, what I can say is that our technology will extend the ability to monitor people's health and safety into what we call all of life, rather than just in those episodes when you're in a hospital or when you're admitted into all of life. Just imagine if there had been something in people's homes or in the places where they live, nursing homes, care homes, senior living facilities at the start of COVID, something that detected rising heart rate with depressed respiration, just those two things that just happened to work all the time, that people didn't have to remember to wear, that people didn't have to remember to turn on or charge. It was just there, present in people's lives. That would have been the canary in the coal mine to raise an alarm that so many of our parents and grandparents were not okay that they had come into contact with the disease. We could have seen this early and taken action sooner, perhaps started treatment where they live before they wound up in ICUs and ventilators or worse. The same with emerging models of care that help bring eventually hospital level care to the home. Most of these models start with an emergency admission. Someone shows up in an ambulance in an emergency room and these models then figure out rather than admitting somebody to a medical floor upstairs, how do you send them home and then actually admit them at home? Imagine if we could detect that rising risk before that ambulance ride. This happens over and over again every day. Imagine if we could prevent those ambulance rides. Imagine the impact on cost. Imagine the impact on reducing hardship. Right? So that's what we're working on. That's amazing. I imagine someone hears that message and it'll be very welcoming for sure. Hey there. Did you know that the average patient may have two or more connected medical or fitness devices in, on, around their body operating at one time? Plus, they may have 10 or more smart devices on average operating in their home. How seamless, secure, and private could that patient's personal area network be? IEEE SA's WAMI program, Wearables and Medical IoT Interoperability and Intelligence, has a global community of experts collaborating and incubating solutions for these exact type of challenges. If you want to join in or learn more, visit ieesa.io backslash WAMI, W-A-M-I-I-I. Also, while on the website, check out the WAMI virtual talk series, free access to more than 30 sessions on demand, plus our regular live broadcasts. Just visit ieesa.io backslash whammy for all the details. When we talk about new technologies, there's always the multi-generational impact, right? You say, well, new technologies is conducive to this age generation. 
Usually the older generation, you have a, let's call it a mixed bag. Some who are very technology savvy and some who, like I will say my parents didn't even know how to turn on a computer and there's no such thing as a smartphone for them. So how are you guys preparing or ascertaining the landscape of that sort of mm-hmm. aging population and trying to introduce these technologies and these opportunities mm-hmm. to them? We have a particularly unique perspective on adoption and engagement. We're taking an approach that recognizes that people don't wake up every morning to use their digital health app or tool. They don't wake up every morning to live in it, to keep their gadgets charged, or even to keep them on their bodies. We're taking that weakest link of the chain, that human operator, and this reliance on somehow them changing their behavior completely out of the equation. People in healthcare love to talk about engagement, patient engagement in particular. I could tell you anecdotes about people who've come from other very consumer-centric industries into healthcare, and they've asked me, what is this patient engagement these people speak of? We think that's exactly the wrong thing to try to achieve. People want to live their lives with simplicity, with ease, with joy. Let's get out of their way. Let's give them tools that help rather than make them feel bad because they're not using them or don't want to use them. Let's get out of their way with tools that just work behind the scenes, keeping them safe, raising alarm when needed. That's how we're going to actually solve this adoption challenge. And that doesn't apply just to older people. It applies to everybody. The number of applications that people download and then stop using within days or weeks. We've read lots and lots of anecdotal studies about this. We think that the way to address this problem, which really works for all, one of our principles is design for all. And one of the basic rules of that basic guidelines behind that principle is to not rely on behavior change, not rely on people in different demographics, using different techniques to be engaged. We think that's a slippery slope and a recipe for failure. I hope that gives you a sense of at least our thinking around this whole issue of adoption We think that older people not being able to adopt technology is a red herring. We think that technology has just not been good enough for them to make it a part of their lives. Very good point. We actually just did a telehealth competition on this topic. You know, Mm -hmm. the ability to say that it's innovation, but it has to be innovation designed for all. And that was really the idea there. There's another area that I know about, Cherish, just reading some of the testimonials on your website. One of the areas we're looking into is this explosive growth of mental health digital therapeutics, a lot of it being driven from a commercial sort of, you know, go to this app site and just download it and we'll help you with whatever potential disorder you might have from anxiety to post-traumatic stress disorder. But I also know your tool can also help that group. How do you differentiate from what you might be seeing everywhere on TV or on the internet now and really be able to say we have a trusted tool that can really support this population of patients? So in this area, I'll say that we're still in what I would describe as early days. We see some really incredible applications coming, again, without making people work for them or do unnatural things, absolutely not requiring any behavior change. And that behavior change goes all the way to remembering to plug in something or charge something or wear something. All those things get in the way. We hope to be able to tell you more about this over the next year or two. But to give you a sense of direction, we expect to be able to pick up changes in mood, changes in people's mental state. Grandpa's getting depressed. He's taking longer and longer to get out of bed every morning. Those kinds of things, we expect to be able to do that over the next few years. And we think that can have a profound impact on then getting them the help they may need, getting them the support from their families that may need before that becomes much worse condition.
I'm fascinated by this and I really hope you keep us in the loop on it because we have definitely been looking at some of the nuances around digital mental health therapeutics for the elder population. And this is an area we're covering in one of our industry connections program called Ethical Data Assurance for Digital Mental Health Care. So definitely very interested to see how that progresses for sure. So Samit, when I say AI for good medicine, what comes to your mind and why? First thing that pops in my mind is freedom. Because the pace at which healthcare is evolving to create the kinds of solutions I'm describing is just too slow. Someone I met more than a decade ago who's become both a mentor and a friend to me. He was in the audience when I presented an approach to joining up medical records across a city region. This was in the UK. Then another gentleman talked about another approach. He was as sincere as I was, but he followed his thoughts with a comment that he said, you know, it's going to take us the rest of this decade, the next decade to put this in place. And this gentleman who's become my friend said, so who's going to take care of us and our parents in the meantime? There's this sense of urgency. And AI is an essential part to answering his question, which is really about getting solutions to market in the here and now. It's about our parents, our grandparents, our kids, our families. Those are the people we're talking about here. And that sense of urgency is what drives us. And so... Freedom is the ultimate impact of being able to bring these kinds of technologies into the service of their daily lives. I think that word really sums it up. And that would be a first because I've heard many different answers to that question. And I really appreciate the insight behind that. And I think it'll give everybody listening something really to think about. We all know the healthcare inequity challenge we face globally, obviously exacerbated during COVID, unfortunately, for those who are already disadvantaged. But some have argued that artificial intelligence and machine learning can support mm -hmm. fairness, personalization, and inclusiveness in healthcare, really starting to cut at that inequity issue. And then others find that it actually might potentially create more inequity in the healthcare system. I think the populations you're already starting to work with, with your platform starts to maybe cut away at that concept. But how do you see it? from your point of view? I think I'm going to answer that question with one word, which is scale. But let me take a step back. I'm on the board of an organization called HIMSS, which is the world's largest membership body that represents health and health IT users and their suppliers. This year, our global conference, which is coming up in Orlando in two weeks, we're going to be devoting quite a lot of time and energy to talking about health equity because we're seeing the gulf between the haves and the have-nots continue to grow. And because real biases caused by perception of race gender, socioeconomic status, they cause real harm to real people every single day. That's fundamentally indisputable. The scale and pervasiveness at which AI and ML can be put to use to help people is staggering. Of course, what that means is that our training data has to reflect the diversity of our populations and not include these biases into the infrastructure. And this is all quite feasible in the hands of well-meaning self-aware people, right? So I am super bullish about AI and ML actually being able to reduce health inequity, actually spread this technology into the kinds of things that people use every single day without them being expensive gadgets that only a few have. And the kinds of things that ultimately become just parts of the furniture and fixtures of the place you live rather than special tools and special gadgets, again, that only a few can afford. I think that's a great perception. It's just fascinating to see hopefully that opportunity at scale can really address mm -hmm. some of these issues. All right. So we have a great idea. We have a great technology. 
We have a great opportunity and a patient population that can utilize it. But we still find that we keep running into some kind of challenge. There's still security lapses or we need more open data standards or just a lack of standards, better policy. What do you think is single most challenging part currently not addressed when it comes to the use of AI applications that continues to cause concern or uncertainty in the trust in those tools and using them? What is it and what might be the best approach in trying to start addressing it? So I saw a video recently that talked about health data interoperability standards, and it was really interesting. The stuff that they were talking about was virtually identical, the same words that were being used 25 years ago. We're still talking about the same topics when we're close to sending people to Mars and we're flying rocket ships into the sky like riding a tricycle, and we're still stuck in the old ages when it comes to these topics. I don't think that any of this has to do with not enough standards, not the right standards, or not the right public policy, etc. I think those issues are actually utterly business issues, and those issues will get addressed when this type of technology becomes more democratized, when it becomes more ubiquitous, when it becomes more available to people for themselves, rather than somebody having supplied to them. So there are two ways I can answer your question, at least. One, this notion of engagement and adoption. A lot of people who are building solutions think that their human operators are bad users, rather than designing systems that eliminate the need for requiring behavior change. Those will continue to fail. This applies to, as I've said, thousands of digital health apps out there today. If you design the need to support a user into an app or a tool, you're designing the app or the tool to require people to need support. That's just how it is. These challenges transcend all such solutions. They result in AI-driven tools that behave even worse. And this applies to all these other topics you mentioned as well. The other way I can answer this question is about the special challenges around privacy and security created by AI and ML. There are bad things that bad actors can do with this always on data about people that are made even more creepy with AI and ML, video data in particular. The way to address this, not requiring this data beyond the inference at the edge, gather the data at the edge, make your inference, run your AI models there, and then void the data, eliminate it forever. It's a great way to delete the entire possibility of a whole class of privacy and trust issues. Then letting people control and only them control their own data is the other. There are some companies, very large companies in consumer space that have made that their religion, right? You control your own data, you hold the encryption key, nobody else can get it. And then there are others who live off selling your data. They think that there's just the market speaks, buyers reward companies that behave well. And I think that's what's going to drive the right solutions. It's really that simple. I agree with you perceptually saying that consumer-driven best practices are really important. And I think they can really maybe change a market mentality for sure. So you've already shared so much great insight with us. There's so many ideas. Like you said, healthcare is coming home. These are really important insights and topics for people to digest. So I'm going to ask you, is there any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience? Advice for a tech entrepreneur, a young engineer on the verge of the next breakthrough, or a call to action from all the different multidisciplinary professionals listening to this podcast today. So I'll go back to something my dad said when I was probably seven years old, and I didn't quite understand what the heck he was talking about. In a moment where I clearly frustrated him, he said, think big man. I was probably seven. I've tried to do that ever since. Um, so dream big. Don't let challenges stop you. Embrace them instead. Think of your journey as an ever-evolving puzzle that you wake up every morning to solve rather than a burden to overcome. It just changes how you deal with it. Use that to stay fresh inspired. 
And this has been so important to me. Find a mentor or two. I'm lucky to have many to stay grounded and inspired. Absolutely. I think that is a very uh, positive note. Mind over matter. Well, everyone, if you want to learn more about Cherish, visit CherishHealth.com. Many of the concepts we talked today with Sumi are addressed in various activities here at the IEEE SA Healthcare Life Science Practice. We have so many global experts. Even Sumi is part of our Transforming the Telehealth Paradigm Incubator Program. Working together, trying to explore, collaborate, look for all these different types of solutions that are needed to continue to open the doors for innovation. You can find out about all of our practice opportunities, programs at iee.sa.org backslash HLS. If you like this podcast, please share it with your colleagues on social media. You can use the hashtag IEEEHLS or tag us on Twitter at IEESA or on LinkedIn, IEE Standards Association. This is the way we get our word out about our podcast interviews to share the insights of our volunteers, our guests with the rest of the world. I want to thank you, Samit, for joining us today. You have been very inspirational and insightful. Thank you so much for having me again. And I want to thank you, the audience, for being with us. And I want to wish you all to continue to stay safe and well. Until next time. On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.